Lord Jesus, it's so good to be in your presence. It's so good to minister to you. It's so good to reflect on this week and the opportunities we've had to love our neighbor and or even in these moments be reminded of how we need to ask for forgiveness. Lord, it's good to worship you with our words and with the stillness of our hearts as well. It's good to sing songs and, and to worship you in these moments. And so as we open your word, your, your words from Paul and to the Roman people, we ask, Lord, that you would speak well through these words 2,000-some years later. They still make a big difference in our life. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Today I want to start with the, uh, I want to start what's called the bottom line before I begin. And it's the, the second slide here that we're going to begin with. Um, and if you could go to that for me, please. Here's the phrase that I'm going to work off of today. Disharmony festers into resentment while building up grows into a Jesus movement. Disharmony. Do we see disharmony in this world? If you let it fester, you know what it grows into, and it's not a good thing. But building each other up, finding ways to love them like Jesus calls us into, leads into a Jesus movement. I found it fascinating as I just reflected on the generations that I've been a part of. It's not that many. But then reflecting on previous generations, uh, really looking at the 20th century, the 1900s. And basically, the ones that I look back to were, um, you know, like the, my parents' era when they were born in the 40s, 50s, and beyond. And I started just reflecting on the differences that we probably, or they probably thought, would, life couldn't get any bigger, couldn't get any better. Technology couldn't advance. I think every generation has probably had a similar thought. There's no way that it could possibly change that much. But then you start looking and you realize that over the course of those years, Look at the, how taste buds have changed over those years, or at least the food. The food has changed over those years. Consider some of the packaging and some of the, the products that we would look at today and say, is, is, that, is that even food? I don't, I don't know. But we've been conditioned to believe that what we have in front of us is normal. And then, don't get me started on music. Can you imagine every generation thought their music was the best? Has anybody ever, have you ever heard yourself saying that? Well, my generation, we, we knew music. We understood music. And then what about clothes, or at least brands of clothes? 
you know, what's be, what you're wearing today is the result of probably an advertisement or probably what Kohl's had or probably you just said this works. But clothes have changed and they continue to change. Or how about brands of electronics? I remember thinking that Sears was the only product that I should get. That's what my dad told me. And then Sears went bankrupt or whatever happened there and it's kind of hard to buy those products now. But the list just keeps going on. On all these things that we're, we believe are the best of the best and then they change. I remember even uh, in high school, I was not trendy, I was not popular, I was not fashion savvy. I, that's probably just dates me just saying that in general. I did not have the coolest clothes. I remember one time, uh, don't tell anybody this except for it's live streamed and stuff like that. Uh, don't tell anybody that my mom, she felt bad for me because we couldn't afford uh, Nike clothes. And she, she grabbed a, a generic Walmart shirt and she stitched a swoosh on it. <laughs> but my friends were not deceived by the swoosh. It was not authentic and it was way thicker because she had to do so anyway it just didn't look right and i got made fun of so much but you try to fit in you try to blend in you you want to be noticed but for good things you want to have the right hair you want to have the right look and all these things and then it's funny have you ever had a spirit week at a school where they do this this day is the 70s day this day is the 80s day this day is the 90s day and so people start to look back what it used to look like and those just make me laugh to think that all of those you know there's some styles that i thought would never ever ever come back and they come back and i go oh have, no, <laughs> there's just, and I'm not going to get into that because maybe you really like those styles and I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be a part of that joke later on. I can't believe you didn't like that. Um, but even just, it's funny to me to look around and to see the clothes that are popular and trending now and see that, you know, 10, 20 years from now, those kids are going to look back and go, what was I wearing? I can tell them that now, but they will see that in a future version of themselves, and I just think that'll be fun. And then I'll finally be able to say, I told you so. So I'm looking forward to that. But we realize and we recognize that trends don't define us as a society. They don't speak to every part of our existence. They're just trends. They're just clothes. They're just cars. They're just things. But I want to know what trends, or specifically, not necessarily a trend, but which elements of our walk with Christ, our Christian walk, define us. I want to understand that when I'm with, with others that believe in Jesus and proclaim that he is Lord and Savior, and they proclaim that they are Christians, I want to know some defining features that I believe set Christians apart. Not in a better sense, but when they see us, they see Christ. When people observe us, me, you, do they describe us as united, encouraging, selfless, helpful? 
What are those defining features that we as followers of Jesus Christ are defined by? Certainly there are core elements of Scripture and of faith and of walking with Jesus that define us. A relationship with Jesus. Scripture is the inspired Word of God. We follow it. We believe that God's words are true and it has the power to save us. Those are core elements but I'm looking at the elements that define us as far as how we live and move and breathe. So as we open Romans 14 today, there's a similar thing that takes place. The Roman people were struggling because they were living in a society that had been struggling and they had found Christ recently, but they had also, since they had accepted Christ, they had already They understood what it meant to put sin to death through the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And they started to grow in unity and love with Jesus. They began to change their way of thinking. But then the residue of their old life began to come back. And that started to change their attitude. They They were critical of one another for non-core elements. They were critical over the surface-level things, and they had a judgmental spirit that had begun to creep back in. They had put sin to death, but yet they just kept a little residue. I want to keep that critical spirit because people need to know what's right. So would you read with me Romans chapter 14, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I'll try to tell you the verse that I'm reading so you can keep up. Romans 14, I'm going to start with 1 and 2, and then I'm going to go to 6. Accept other believers who are weak in the faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it is all right to eat anything, But another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Let's jump to 6. You can see where this is going. So we talked about food. Now verse 6. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to Him. Food, and then you saw at the beginning of 6, you see now there was a division on which day they were supposed to honor the Lord. Keep reading. We're going to go to 8, verse 8 now. If we, leave, if we live, it is, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of you will give a personal account to God. Now let's skip to verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. 
If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Verse 23. But if you have doubts about whether you should eat or whether you whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Now I skipped around a little bit. I hope that you were able to see the, the thread woven through this, these passages. I hope that you were able to see that there was the elements of food, the day of worship, and then a critical spirit, recognizing that we're all judged before a holy God. So let's look together at the first element. The first point today is don't drift into fruitless arguments. And you can see this, uh, if you go to uh, number one for me, that would be great, thank you. You can see this in verses 1, 8, and 9. Don't drift into fruitless arguments. We live to honor God, not man. It is so simple and so easy. It's, in fact, easier to drift into argument than it is to drift into encouragement. You can argue about anything all day long. But it's rather difficult to be encouraging all day long. You can see people arguing over everything. Just go to a supermarket. Have you ever gotten behind the person who argues about every price of every item they're purchasing? I know I have. It's probably been me at times too. I'm guilty as well. When I, you know, especially if it's a couple dollars off, it's like, wait a minute now. Maybe I should argue about gas prices and milk or something too, but that's not my issue. Um, but they drift, these people, they, they, we are followers of Christ, and if maybe you didn't catch it, maybe you need to look back at the beginning of 14 to see who is this talking to? Is this just to, you know, those people that don't know Jesus yet, or is this talking to those who follow Jesus? Did you see? Accept other believers, verse 1, who are weak in faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. This is a message for you and I who know Jesus. Don't drift into a critical spirit. We should be known for our love. And it shouldn't just be trending occasionally that we're known for our love. We should be known for our love and our encouragement and our unity that people are drawn to us because of the life they see in us through Christ. When you hear someone, let me, let me encourage you to think this way. When you hear someone that you disagree with, listen for elements that you can pray for. Don't just listen for all the points that you're going to make about how wrong they are. Don't make your list in your head, well, that's wrong. <laughs> that's just wrong. That's stupid. That's, that's ignorant. No. How is that going to encourage this person? If you listen for ways that you can pray for them, listen for ways that you can be of encouragement to them, then you're truly listening as Christ. It's almost like you've tuned into Christ and now you're filtering, even though what they may be saying is somewhat foolish to you. Be delighted that they're actually talking to you and with you. 
Now, I want to put this caveat in there because there are people that are deliberately sinning, outright choosing to do things that are just unholy and ungodly and wrong. I'm not saying that you just listen and pat them on the back and say, I'll pray for you. There is a, there is a discerning moment to be able to say, God has called us, my brother or sister, God has called us to follow his laws and his, the core elements of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Beyond the Ten Commandments, when Jesus summarized them, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But there's also other moments, if they are sinning deliberately, whether it be lying or cheating or, or murder or, or sexual devious acts where they are doing things outside of marriage, if they are choosing to sin deliberately, then as a brother or sister, you would actually be doing them a disservice if you didn't engage and say, brother, sister, that's not for us. We're not called to raise a fist at God and say, I'll do what I want. I'm going to keep doing this because I think it's, it sounds fun. We choose to follow God and we choose to gently rebuke and humbly rebuke, recognizing that it's only by the grace of God that you have been redeemed, that you have been forgiven, and that God has brought you out of that sin. So you do it in love so that they can be free of sin through the power of Jesus. And I also say when we don't drift into fruitless arguments, we also don't drift into our preferences and then make our preferences start to drift into those core elements as though they're mandated laws or rules from God. Preferences are not God's law. So be conscientious that that may be your preference, but it, it's not necessarily God's law. It may be your opinion, but that isn't what we all have to follow. And there's a line there, and it's a difficult line because it gets blurred in our society so often. So don't let your preferences become mandates. Let's look at the second element today. We all will stand in judgment before God. This is a humbling fact. As we looked at those verses 10 through 12, if this doesn't wake you up and remind you that God sees everything, he knows everything, he knows what you're thinking right now, he knows your heart, he knows the, the number of days that you have left on this earth. He gave you life. He gives you breath in your lungs, and he knows the days when your life will be done. So as you read these verses, don't look down on one another. Try to build them towards Christ. Build them up into relationship with the Lord. Read verse 12. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. 
Verse 13 is so crucial as well, so let's read that as well. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble or fall. As I consider these verses, as I ponder them, doesn't it cause you to pause in your spirit and to say, Lord, I, bef- I fall before your throne of grace. I stand weak as I am. In my humanity, I fail. But through you, Christ, I'm holy, forgiven, and redeemed. Don't let me cause others to stumble and fall. And that is a humbling challenge. The third element today is adjust your attitude to please God, not man. Adjust your attitude to please God, not man. You see, in verses 17 through 19 and also 23, we begin to see again that the Roman Christians were still weak in conscience. They were struggling to that residue and that of sin and their old way of life was beginning to creep in. They were trying to do things. They were trying to condemn one another. They were having a critical spirit, but they were doing it so that they would all be better looking in the outward appearance. But what God wanted was their heart. And if you truly love your neighbor and they're weak and they're struggling then find ways to encourage, find ways to build them up, find ways to remind them of God's love for them. So I want to take us back again. We talked about generational things that have happened over the the times in my life when I've considered Uh, the few years, and then reflecting back in the history books and and seeing all those different things. Now I want you to remember a time and a place when, or specifically a place, where you were told not to go. Don't go there. Maybe it was from a parent. Maybe it was from an authority figure. And they said, absolutely, do not go to this place. This This is where all the trouble happens in town. This is where the people that do drugs are in town. This is where people are doing devious things. Don't go there. Did anybody have a place like that in town? Their parents said, avoid it. Anybody else have this place? So you've got that in your mind. Well, and as a child, whenever mom and dad said, don't go to that place, Maybe it's just me, but I was like, well, I wonder what happens there. Well, I didn't go there. I'm not going to talk about that today. But I want you to know that there was that place. And if you went there, you knew there were going to be consequences. You knew that maybe you wouldn't get to drive anymore for a while. Maybe you knew that you would be grounded or whatever your rule was that if you went, you knew there were consequences. Now, what about music? Uh, depending on the generation you're from, was there certain music that was scandalous? 
or illegal or you are not allowed to listen to this stuff in this house. It was considered inappropriate. Did anybody else have music like that that you were not allowed to listen to? Yeah. Now let me ask you this, and this one might hit home for uh, those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a few years. Are there even worship songs that you've heard in your life and you thought, I don't like that song? Are there moments when you'd say, I I just don't like that style of music? Or this is so distracting. Has anybody else ever said that? I know I have. I have stories. I'm sure you have stories. We get into preferences here, and I want to do a little experiment here. So I'm going to have Kenny help me. So he's going to take his seat at the piano, and he's going to help me because as he's sitting there, he's going to be playing a little bit, and the piano in and of itself is fine, right? Kenny, in and of himself, he's fine. And sometimes when you combine certain chords, what happens? You get a song. And sometimes you combine the same chords and you get another song. Are the chords unholy? Are the lyrics unholy? I want you to discern as he plays what's going on here. George Beverly Shea. Oh, how I love him. Elvis Presley. Kiss me, my darling. Be mine tonight. Pavarotti. Oh, sole, oh, sole mio. Stone fronte, oh, Stone fronte, mom would be shaking her head at me right now. I know it. Uh, as, as I listen to this, my heart, as I listen to songs, uh, my heart's been changed over the years. I, I love lots of different music. Um, and there are different worship songs and different chord progressions and different things that happen. My hope is that I won't have a critical spirit. Now, there are certain genres of music that I really don't like. But I know people have found Jesus in certain genres of music that I don't really like. So consider this. If someone were to come up to you and they're a new Christian, as these Roman people were, and they said, I just found out about Jesus. And I listened to this song, and I was able to pray to Jesus for the first time and I accepted Jesus into my heart. And then they played that song, and it was in the genre you couldn't stand, and it was a song you thought, oh no. But then they shared a scripture verse that helped them in that moment. It causes me to think a way different thought in that moment. Now, would I have chosen that song for them? No. But I'm, ha- I'm delighted they found Jesus. 
I remember working in youth ministry. There was all of you a specific genre that I doubt all of you will be listening to today. It was like, it was rap, and it was really, really fast. But it was a Christian artist, and he could he could bust some rhymes real fast, and it was scriptural, and it was really good. I doubt any of you are just going to be blasting that in your cars on your way home. But those kids that I worked with, they found Jesus in that music. And I have to think, as I read about the people with critical hearts, myself included, as I look at this, I say, those who don't know Jesus well enough, it's not that I'm trying to convert them to my style of music. It's that I want them to grow in their walk with Jesus. When people find Jesus, we should be known for our celebration. When people don't struggle with certain things, we shouldn't be the ones that walk in and say, you can't, you absolutely cannot eat that. That's just, you, you cannot. You have to worship on Sunday. I think this is what they're going for here. Now, there's plenty more conversation to be had. I know that I'm summarizing and I'm generalizing a lot here. But at the very least, I want us to pause in our spirit and say, Jesus, help me to discern well. Help me to glorify you and to lift you up and to honor you with my words. Help me to be humble and full of grace and to remember that if they are turning to Jesus, if they are reading his word, they are growing in maturity, they are growing closer to Jesus, then I'm excited to see their growth. Help me not to have a critical spirit. I want to read again Romans 14, verses 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, we will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. So I will say again, don't let disharmony in your life fester into resentment. Let your conscience, your testimony, build up others towards Jesus. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to worship in another song this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy that is fresh and new today. Help us to be selfless. Help us to be full of your Holy Spirit. Drive out any spirit of criticism. Help us to encourage our brothers and sisters and find ways to bring more unity around you, Jesus, so that others would be brought to you. Let there be harmony in this church. Let there be harmony in your church in this town. Let there be harmony in the church around the world. That more and more would turn to you, Jesus, 
and they would find the goodness and the peace and the joy that only your Holy Spirit provides. We ask that the spirit of criticism would flee from us. We'd be full of life in you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen.